paint your hell? My customized hell is probably an improv class that never ends. It just keeps going. I've I've had dreams before where I've taught the entire dream and I've woken up and I'm like, fuck, I still have like six hours of teaching today. So I literally <laughs> have been teaching, you know what I mean? That I'm going to be teaching for 14, 16 hours straight. I can only imagine that's, um, yeah, that's a problem. Hell, science deniers, liars. I'm, I'm not a big fan of um, alternative facts. Okay. So I can imagine being in a room full of people, being in a room full of Marjorie Taylor Greens and Lauren Boberts. And they're in your improv class, maybe? Oh, sure. Sure. They're in my improv class. And then they tell me why they're so right and so funny by punching down, by you know, pulling a lot of shit. And it just, yeah, even thinking about it upsets me greatly. Um, <laughs> I could also at the same time, I guess, be sobbing naked on a coltile floor because I ate something weird, you know, when you have one of those bad poops. Do you so have I've, like GI so I, stuff? I not terrible, but then occasionally I'll eat something. And I'll be like, mm, I don't know if I'm allowed to eat this. Like people mm. are, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I would say something bad for the system where you like are pooping so bad that you almost have to throw up. And then you're teaching an improv class at the same time to Marjorie Taylor green and Lauren Boebert, because they decided they'd like to do a duo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> These tools are for you to Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am a comedian based in Chicago who survived a coma for a month, eight years ago, and now I've got questions, and the person answering those questions this week is Susan Messing. Susan Messing is the fucking god in Chicago improv, man. This is... uh, This is a very legendary comedy person. She is, you know, I I took one class with her, but I was thinking before the conversation we had, I was like, yeah, I mean, she's absolutely influential in my comedy development, as is pretty much true for anyone in the past, what, 15, 20, 30 years of, of doing comedy in Chicago. So I had a great conversation with her. I'm excited for you to hear it. I'm excited to build on this little two-week stint of in-depth comedy conversations we've got going. If you want to hear the full thing, you're going to have to go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. I don't take ads. That is the way to support the show, to help it keep growing. You can join for $5 or $15. The folks who join at $15 get their names read on the show. Those are the pigeon-level patrons. They are Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Debo, Shuba Singh, and John Lee. But in terms of bonus content, you get everything, no matter what level you join at. Got a a movie, an Afterlife Movie Club episode coming up soon, and you can hear the full conversation I had with Susan as well. You should, if you're in Chicago, or if you're one of those improv kids or people who wants to fucking take a trip for an intensive, Susan and Rachel Mason are teaching an improv intensive December 12th through 16th at the new IO Theater. So you can find that on IO's website and take that intensive. You can also follow her on Instagram, and that link is in the show notes. And other than that, I just want you to enjoy this episode. So please do that. And I was going to say, help me welcome Susan Messing, but um, you, you can't do that. This was recorded before you're listening to it. So um, I don't need any help, but I now welcome you to enjoy this conversation with Susan Messing. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like... You teach a lot of improv classes. I do. I teach less than I used to. I had um, I had uh, some TIA strokes uh, in the weekend before Memorial Day, and wait, what is my that? Inter- a TIA stroke? I guess it's like little cluster strokes. 
Oh I God. just thought I actually I think I diagnosed my own fucking stroke. I was just having trouble on the Wednesday before Memorial Day formulating words correctly. I was texting and it took so long to text it and I was getting the wrong word or the wrong spelling and it wasn't just basic shit like that. And when I was talking to my friend Christopher and even Sophia I said, "Can you hear me? I'm like stumbling over my words." And I thought it was like a long covid thing because mm. you know because people I don't know. People said they had brain fog. And if I wanted to say dogwood tree, I would have to think pet dog dogwood. And so I was thinking maybe I'm just finding new pathways in my brain. I mean, that's what I was, you know, thinking. So anyway, I kind of diagnosed it myself. I ended up having stent surgery. I ended up in the ICU for three days because um, my blood pressure went down to 68 over 22, which apparently is low. But I was the only non intubated person in the ICU. And that was fun. And I did get to, since I had stent surgery, my neck, because my carotid artery on my left side was completely blocked and the one on the right was perfectly fine. I did get to say to the doctors, I'm really going to miss being choke fucked. <laughs> and what was their response to that? Oh my God. They stared at me. They just stared. <laughs> well, I did warn them at the top. I said, you know, I'm going to tell, I'd like to tell a joke. You know, these guys are excited because I don't even get a chance to, like, talk to the people in the ICU. Right, right. I mean, they are all covered in machines and shit. Yeah. And I said, I, I'd like to tell this joke, but I, I just want to protect content so that people can laugh. Um, You're getting consent for your joke. Uh -huh. I did. Joke. I asked for it. I said, I said, I have a really good joke. And it was two doctors, two residents, and two med students. Almost like walked into a but No, this really was the setup and the reality of the joke. And... uh I said, I have a great joke. It's, it, I like it. I don't write jokes. You know, I do improv. So, but so when I write a joke, I get really excited about it. But this one might appear to be a little disgusting. So I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or make them feel bad. So if, if you would consent to hear this joke, you'll, you'll have to raise your hand. And they all just kind of looked at each other like, what? Because again, ICU patients don't talk. Right, so they right, right. Kind of finally went like this. And I said, I'm really going to miss being choke fucked. And they all were like looking at each other like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at I, that point, the, the joke is so much shorter, is like 10 times shorter than the, the, the setup. consent yes. to the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's the setup took a long time. And even then, it, it was funny to me just because they looked so trepidatious about the whole thing. They were just like, Oh dear God. Yeah, you know, yeah. they like what I do. And, and I mean, even then, you know, again, I I've said content needs to be protected so people can laugh. So I'm not interested in alienating them, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I was very pleased with myself. <laughs> well, but the question that I have about teach about a hell where it's an endless improv class that would imply that there's something you don't enjoy about an improv class. Oh no, I love that, it. I, I love it when I, you know what? I love it once I'm there. I don't want to be on the, uh, the weeble, you know, I, the, the gerbil wheel as it were I, anymore. I just don't want to do that. Um, I was teaching, you know, eight classes a week and then, then traveling on the weekends. It was too much for me. Gotcha. So, so I'd rather I'm going to pull up my performing and less, less teaching, yeah. still teaching, but less. I had a very mild, I think, coming up in, in my like improv heavy days, bone to pick with you. Oh boy. Let's hear it. With the idea of you because of, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Boy, I was not having fun for so much. And I was like, no, nah, I think other people, I think, I think I would not be an asshole if I could just force people to do funnier things and the right things. And you know what I mean? And it's like, I, I think ultimately that's why being solo on stage works a lot better for me. I, I get it. And, I, and I'm a big fan of what works for you. You know, here's the weird thing about that phrase. I literally threw it out there as an onus to myself yeah. that I couldn't blame other people for my misfortune. Because don't get me wrong, you'll play with whoever you want to and you'll love those people, but we should be able to play with anybody. We should be able to crack the code. And sometimes it takes forever to crack the code and sometimes it takes a minute to crack the code. And I'm not saying I'm right about that. 
It was for me because I would stand backstage for messing with a friend and go, my only rule is if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. I'm like, oh my God, it's my rule. I'm such an asshole. It's my rule and it's my show. I'm such an asshole. Oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. Thank you for being my friend. Um, and then my desire to create over always superseded the weirdness I had to go through in order to create and I got off again. I'm not saying that there aren't people that I really love playing with. And I think that as we get, that we get to decide that whether we're going to do it on our own or do it with other people. I think that is a personal preference. I wasn't saying if you're not having fun, you are an asshole human being. I was saying that like, it's the kind of thing that when I'd coached teams in the past, they would always blame Margaret, weird, Margaret, Margaret, weird. And then Margaret finally gets kicked off the team, right? Thank the fuck Lord. There's no Margaret. And you know what? You're the fucking common denominator. And guess what? You're next. So it's, when so when you pass the blame to other people for your joy, do you know what I'm saying here? Then yes. then it's gonna be you eventually. Oh, totally. And I think that's the thing that I kind of recognize now and that I ultimately because it was because I was honestly, it was a little bit of like disconnect where I'm like, Susan seems like the kind of person who would know intimately. Like you're, you're, I see you as a positive person, but I see you as a not sickly sweet positive person. Like yeah, your, I, I, your I, I, joy I, seems like hard won, you know what I mean? Yes. Which is the kind no, of, it's the only kind of joy I relate to personally, you know? That's a good way to say it. That's a fucking great way. You, I think you pegged me. Great. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I'm a pragmatic optimist, and I know that the theory of improv sounds so lovely. Got your back, got right, your back, right, right, and right, all right, this right. shit. You know, let's have a group mind, you know, like uh, all this shit. And then you get there, and, you know, there's Booger Girl and, you know, Grabby <laughs> Crotch Boy. And you're like, seriously? I signed up for this shit? <sighs> Remember, improv is therapeutic, but it's not therapy. Right. So, you know what I mean? So there are a lot of people in the Island of Misfit Toys that we really have to figure out ways to come together, at least for that moment. I'll tell you something. I'm not a big fan of my ex-husband, Joe Canale, but I do fucking love watching him on stage. For some reason, he manages to pull it together and work incredibly well with people. So go fucking figure. I feel like people, you know, I... People do the best that they can with what they have. But at the same time, some people really need to kind of take a look at themselves and rub their face in their own bullshit and recognize that there's only so long that you can pretend that if you create utopia, it'll always work because you can go home and you're still going to fucking be there. So I I am, I am, I'm, I'm toughest on myself about the little snotty fart in me that needs to be checked. I think improv has kind of made me a much nicer person. I would probably be unconscionably annoying without improv. Sure. I really, I really think I'd be the worst. So it kind of it kind of talks me into things I don't always want to do. And then I'm grateful and glad that I did them. Um, it certainly has me propelling into fear all the time mm-hmm. and handling it. And that's kind of fun sometimes, as long as it's sort of a safe fear. Because yeah. what's the worst thing that's going to happen? People are going to laugh at me. I'm doing comedy. Fuck you. Do you see what I'm saying? It always oh, works. for sure. So it's well, like- And there's a difference between someone saying, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. And that person is a judgmental to assholes. I, fun. I love fun. If you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Versus an asshole who is so mired in their own self-loathing that they just barely come up for breath and go, listen, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole, but I'm a fucking asshole. Fuck me. I'm an, and, and I relate to the second way more than the first. Me fighting for my right to party every yeah. single fucking time. Yeah. So it's it was not meant as as a throw pillow or a poster mm-hmm. on the walls of, mm-hmm. of improv theaters. It was, although the fact that somebody had the temerity to like type it up and use an ugly font and then frame it is impressive to me. Did they? Someone did that? Oh yeah. I see it all over the country. Yeah. Wow. And pillows, throw pillows. Someone actually um, put it on the, t- it was the t-shirt of their improv festival, my quote on the front. And I showed up and I was kind of like, oh no, no. Is any part of you like, yo, where's the cut? 
Yes and no. Words are okay. words are. We're, I got a lot of words. You know, if you want to yeah. take my words, I I got more. I don't care. Okay. All right. Maybe, but at the same time, it. I will say that phrase is. I don't want to say gotten me in trouble as much as there's that kind of little plosive release on their own time. You are not a surprise to me for saying that. Like I've addressed that several times in the past couple of years where people are like, I felt like an asshole because I felt like an asshole. Right. I didn't want to be an asshole and I'm not an asshole, but you're telling me if I don't have fun and I wasn't having fun. Yeah. There's lots of ebbs and flows in this work and you'll take seven steps forward and three steps back and go what the fuck, you know, or you won't be able to crack the code with a human being. And you're like, I love them off stage. Why can't I do a great scene with them on stage? What the mm. fuck is wrong with me if I'm not having fun with this? Because we haven't figured it out yet. That's all. And it's, it's process. All of this is process. Once I crack a code, it's like with my daughter when she was tiny. I'd like crack a sleep code only to have a right. new fucking code emerge of like, how the fuck do I navigate this? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's evolution. It's part of evolution. And part of evolution is is like, while these new schools of thought happen or evolution happens in terms of people finally feeling uh, brave enough to be able to speak up for uh, a lot of shit that's gone down in our community. My job right now is to learn. My job is to decenter, you know, whiteness in my classroom. My job is to um, make sure that I'm at a time slot in performing where there's not an 11 year old there. Unless right. I adjust right. my shit because yeah. I don't get to say I'm a comedian, deal with my bullshit. I'm a comedian and I don't have Tourette's and not that there's anything wrong with that. And I can control myself. We speak yeah. to our grandparents differently than we speak to our best friends. So, so check out the time slot, check out who you're playing with, you know, um, let the audience know that you're just funning. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, that's nice about, and I'll, I'll move on to an actual segment of the podcast next, but the, 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 the thing that's good about it, it would not be a, a worthwhile phrase if everyone just agreed with it and moved on. It has to be sticky and get in people and have people disagree. You know, it's like a fucking, I mean, this is very gassing you up, but like a fucking Zen Cohen where people are like trying to figure it out and they're like, but I don't think this part's right and that part, and that's what keeps it like alive. And I think contributing something that was meant in a specific context and for yourself, but then bounces off a bunch of other things and becomes bigger in the process is a way better contribution than just accurately summing up some aspect of the art form. Well, the other thing too, is I'm an annoyance girl and we talk about taking care of ourselves at the top of the scene because I can't manipulate your spine. You know what I mean? That's something you take care of. That's something you own that's the only thing i feel like i own a scene is my body like mm-hmm. that's just because i started it doesn't mean it's my fucking scene it's right person scene or a 10 person scene but the point being is that if i took on the responsibility of myself I, I want to take on the responsibility of my joy too that my joy isn't contingent on another person making me happy because taking care of my partner is not in lieu of themselves you know what i mean taking care of my partner is not in lieu of taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. It's the whole, if you can't love yourself. So I, yeah. So I took responsibility else. for it. And when people kind of stop themselves in the middle of going through a really bad chunk of improv time and went, why the fuck am I doing this? If I'm having such a bad time, then they recognize they can recommit because commitment's mm-hmm. not enough in this wor- work. It's recommitment when you want to fucking give up. Or it is taking that much needed break and taking a movement class or anything that has nothing to do with fucking improv and, you know, evolving. What do you hope happens when you die? Well, it's so interesting. I didn't go to me in that first thought. I thought... I hope my daughter is comforted. I hope she is okay. Isn't that weird? I immediately thought of Sophia. No, it's I not. I hope my daughter is comforted. Um, you know, I, I was raised Jewish, so I guess heaven and hell are supposedly on earth. I'm not real big on a lot of that stuff, but it's weird because I just, I take it with such a grain of salt, but I do take 
psychics and mediums and all that stuff. Also, when, you know, your husband dies and you still have questions, chances are you go down that road for just a little while. Yeah. And it was a complicated grief with Michael. So I had a lot of questions. Um, so I actually spoke to a guy two weeks ago and I don't think I'd spoken to someone like that in maybe a year and a half or something. So I thought, why the fuck not? I found a chunk of money in my Venmo account because he wanted to be Venmo. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a lot of money. Cause I was like, that's a lot of money I'm paying him. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait a minute, I got a lot of money in this one. It's wow. free money. Well, I don't go to Venmo often. So when people pay me via Venmo, it just sits there for like months and you go, shut the fuck up free money that really you worked for. Obviously, right. you know, but, uh, what do I want? I, I think, I do think that there's kind of a, I do feel like it's a little like defending your life. Okay. Sure. Defending your life. I do feel like you're kind of in a waiting room or a little bit. And I felt like with my, with my husband, Michael, I felt like he was sitting in a room across a desk from my sister, Bonnie, who had died in the end of 2017. And Bonnie was the sweetest woman in the world. She literally, she was an angel on fucking earth. And I feel like he's sitting in front of my sister, Bonnie, with it like his well, you know, he's always, Michael was always very well dressed, but this time his chinos are a little rumpled. His shirt is, his white shirt isn't as crisp as it should be. And Bonnie kind of looking up from papers and being super nice to Michael and say, you know, I would be remiss to not remind you that, you know, my sister was your wife um, and you have a little bit of work to do. So I don't know. I feel like after I die, I feel like I'm going to be, I mean, I hope it's not like a one of those really bad conventions, but but something of a nature where I'm going to be kind of taught some things so that if there is another life, I'll be a little better at it. And if it's done, hopefully, if I exist on some sort of plane that I can do at least what my dad does for me, which is get me nice parking spots. Okay. Okay. My dad gets really good parking spots. Is... He's still dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understood, but I, I appreciate you clarifying for the folks <laughs> who might be slow on the uptake there. Is So I guess these might be related, but when you talk about your daughter being comforted, I wonder, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are comforts you've had? And then when you talk about with Michael having wanting answers, I'm wondering, what are those questions and what are the answers that would be helpful? And maybe that's part of being comforted. I think in terms of Sophia, I would love to be able to, to have her feel as though she's blanketed in me, that like I'm I'm hugging her always, that all the choices that she makes, I'm there to support her and keep her safe so that she can do whatever the fuck she wants. You know what I mean? I yeah. guess that's that's something. I also know that Sophia will be extremely comforted by the people around her. You know, that's that's how I feel. Um, so I feel like let's do a dual thing. You know, something that feels inside, something that feels outside. I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, but it's weird. I don't really think about my path as much. I'm. I feel like I'm a young soul, so I feel like I've got a lot of work to do. Um, my my epiphanies are are. Uh, well, well earned, but uh, slow in coming. So like, and that's why I think I, I started teaching was because I was like, holy shit, like, I want to save you time. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Yeah, totally. Like once I learned something that really does help and work and remind you why you did this shit, I, I want to give it to you as fast as possible because I had a lot of uh, self-loathing and blaming of others in my career. And I was like, uh, -uh my early career. And so I was like, uh, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I feel like I've learned a lot, but I still think I have some shit that they could call me out on. They so you really, you moved past the self-loathing and the blaming of others? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's not other people's fault of anything. How, but how did you go from knowing that intellectually to stopping that being a default? And I am very personally invested in, in this one right now. <laughs> It's, it's, it's not an easy ride. It's not an easy ride. Uh, it's, I guess I didn't want to be 
a victim of people anymore, if nothing else. Like I least like what if the only thing I can control is myself and not other people. And the only thing I can control is my response to it. Then I learn to change my response. So for example, if somebody like tried to shortchange me on something financially, you know, the first time you learn the word no, right. You're like, no, you know, like you, you get really pissy and sh- shitty. And now I say things like, I'm so sorry that doesn't work for me. Why don't we regroup and see how we can make it work? Mm-hmm. So for me, once I started reframing shit and using semantic adjustments, it saved my ass because I can talk myself into anything and that includes hell. So I might as well talk myself into my joy as well. Yeah. And it's not always easy if you have a depressive nature, if you're overloaded on the news and idiocy and lies and death and all sorts of stuff that really can fell us. I mean, you know, even, even before the pandemic hit, I had two plus years of taking care of Michael who was had a glioblastoma in his spinal cord. It was not easy. I feel there were moments where I really felt like I was almost treading water where the top looks sort of graceful, but underneath your legs are just wildly kicking. Mm-hmm. And I think that once I started being a little kinder to myself on my path, I didn't yell at myself. Like I just kind of went, you reach a point of saturation where you're like, this just simply doesn't work for me anymore. Mm -hmm. When it does, then you don't feed yourself with the drama that propelled you forward beforehand because our anger and frustration and, and hurt can take us a long way. But after a while, you're like, seriously, do I want to carry you know, 17 matched pieces of Louis Vuitton bullshit in my life, or do I want a a backpack? And so that's where I've kind of gotten to. And I think being a parent changed me as well, because I was like, I do not want to model my inability to evolve um, to my daughter. So Mm -hmm. she hears me apologize. She hears me say I was wrong. As a matter of fact, you know what I love being wrong about? People. Yeah. I love being wrong about somebody that I was like, I fucking hated them. Yes, and yes, all of a sudden yes. you're like, I'm so glad that I didn't give up on you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad I recommitted to that. Because again, that's when the good things happen to me. It's not the commitment. It's the recommitment when it's funky, you know? Yeah. Because otherwise you just go, not me or done. And I'm going, but then nothing happens. You know what I mean? So I guess I'm more tenacious than I am talented. (laughs) I just don't want to give up, you know? Yeah. I just don't want to give up. And the things I finally give up, it's about time. Mm. It's about time. Because there are a lot of things historically I would do in terms of my relationships with men that I would kind of go, I don't want to fuck over their egos because I'm a comedian from the 80s. Right, right. Now I'm like... No, sorry. It doesn't work for me. Totally. So what are, like, with Michael, and as always, uh, I say as always, even though this is the first time I've said this. So as always, starting now. As always um, when I talk about Michael and you. If you, you know, tell me to fuck off if you don't want to answer anything. But what are the types of questions that you would want to make sure other people have answers to when you die. Wow. Some rich fucking shit, Dave. Um, What do I want people to have? You know what? Here's the thing. I don't think, um, I would hope that they didn't have any more questions. I would hope that they felt that they were square with me. I hope they felt that they knew where I stood on things I mm-hmm. and, and that they were okay with it. I hope that they had peace with me because by then I would hope I would have some peace. Um, so so those I the questions like, you had, like interpersonal things where you're like, I don't know how he feels about this or I, I there, there was, was no, there were, there were, if I didn't have 50 po- plus boxes of everything he had written, there would have, there would have been a lot of things not understood. Yeah. And I would have thought, and I would have blamed myself for these things that have nothing to do with me. So, um, so again, I'm hardest on me. Um, so I would hope that nobody has any questions when I'm gone and that, and that if they felt that, um, 
we were estranged, which would be odd because it takes a lot for me to be estranged from someone. Mm-hmm. I can think of two people. Um, but they were like, it's going to be okay. You, I guess maybe you don't have to get along with everybody in that, even in that instance. You know what I mean? Like that, that they're soothed because I'm still, I will still be dead at that point. So what about funeral planning? Do you have ideas? I'm glad you asked when, when Michael got sick, sorry that I interrupted you. I, cause I know the answer so well. Um, when Michael got sick, I didn't want to be scary, but I also did the idea of being buried in a ground and the whole, not my gig. Um, so I said to Michael, and remember, I was raised Jewish, and you're not supposed to be cremated because ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And I'm like, oh. well, if it's dust to dust, I fucking saved you like a good solid chunk of time and some real estate. <laughs> yeah, so, right, right, right. And I'm skinny. Um, <laughs> so, so I said to Michael, I had just gotten off the phone with my friend Paula, who had contacted the Neptune Society, where uh, you can prepay for your death now today's prices for tomorrow's death and who doesn't like a death bargain so i got michael said that sounds fine to me and um again i didn't want to scare him i made it seem like us just like we're getting our wills together Mm -hmm, we're mm -hmm. have our paperwork together all that kind of stuff because i've watched too many times after someone dies a family scrambling yeah and then doing gofundmes for their fucking funeral i'm like i'm not having that i don't I'm I'm a Capricorn, and I guess we're all really like we take care of business. Apparently, I don't know much about Capricorns, but I do. I always said I was like a children of a lesser god after the bills were paid. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, dump them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I Michael had to die within 500 miles of our house, which I thought was reasonable since he had a glioblastoma in his spinal yeah. cord. Right. Um, so that was good. And then I paid $500 more so that I could die anywhere in the world. <laughs> and somebody pick up the phone and call uh, the Neptune Society and have to come pick me up and take care of all of it. Okay. So so the Neptune Society, well, I, they proved their their value a million times over when Michael died. Because Michael died April 8th of 2020. And the world shut down on uh, March oh, 11th. God damn, yeah. So by then, people who were dealing with funeral arrangements were dealing with refrigerated trucks and trying to find the right person and toe tags and body bags. And I called the Neptune Society after Michael died. He got to die at home. And uh, within an hour and a half, they were there. And the guys came in and they said, gosh, it's really nice to be at to be here, something like a that, which sounded really weird, but I knew the implication was it's so nice to be in a peaceful home instead of a refrigerated truck dealing with body bags and toe tags. Um, So they took him, and two weeks later he was ready and it was done. So the Neptune, I don't want one of those very cult. The, the, the name is very, I'm like, what? This sounds very mysterious, very cold. But it sounds like a very concrete, like it sounds like they're taking care of a lot of specific, it's like a combination mortician funeral home. Yes. Okay. Yes. The Neptune Society, whatever they have contractually with funeral homes or with crematoriums or whatever, I don't know what their gig is. Um, I do know it's, it's, it's not the most fun job I can imagine. Um, I found that they were very kind. As a matter of fact, hospice, I think, might have even called them. They It might have been mm. the next number. Like, they might have even dealt with it. So maybe I didn't even pick up. I don't think I called the Neptune Society. I think the hospice people did. See, that feels culty, too. <laughs> they just show up. They're just in, I'm imagining, like, blue. No, I had to remember. Robes. Well, remember, you have to have a time of death and things like that. Right, so right, if you right. don't want the police showing up at your house and there's a man who's already in hospice, you call them. The nurse who was on uh, on call, Nurse Scarlett, she was a Filipino and she was fantastic because she, she didn't fuck around. Um, she, she called the time of death and then called them for me probably at hospice who called, you know, Neptune Society. Again, you, 
nobody can be prepared for this shit. You do the best you can. But I do remember my brother-in-law when my sister Bonnie dying, screaming into the phone, you charged me $52,000 for something that was 5200 And he's screaming. And at that moment, this was the end of 2017. It was even before I found out Michael was sick. I was like, I will never, ever put anyone through this. Right, ever, right. If possible. And and it's not an easy it's not an easy task and I'm I'm grateful that my family hasn't said you can't do that because you were raised Jewish you know what I mean I'm I'm grateful that my family hasn't said anything about it and I also thought it was slightly you know I I was responsible for Michael I and I, and I'm thankfully I think these were his wishes he just said he wanted to go where I went and I was like well I'm being cremated but we're not going to be in the same urn or something I don't know. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I took care of business and that's just what I did. But this is technically pre-funeral. Do you have ideas of a, of a service or anything that you would want in that regard? Well, I guess my, fr- I, I will have to think upon that, but I would, if there is some sort of coming together that people get to hang out, I hope Sophia can pull it together to sing because I love her voice. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific she- song that you love or that you can that you would request if you could? Damn, Dave, you ask good questions. I thought I was so prepared. <laughs> I'm not. You know what? I, I would think about that. I guess, you know what? I guess I would have to, um, I just had my will redone a couple months ago. Um, so, and everything goes to Sophia. It's no big deal. But the point being that you, when you kind of say, oh, if you have extra things you want to give people or a kind of funeral type of thing, um, maybe I ought to write that down for right. her. Right. But, but I trust my kid and my, you know, and whoever I'm with or whatever will be able to kind of know what the, what the gig is. I don't know. People might be like, ew, Susan. You know what I mean? People might be like, oh my God, Susan. I have no idea. No idea. Oh no. Oh no! It'd be terrible if like two people showed up. That would be really sad. It's, it's kind of like not going to happen. Two people okay. are going to show up. Maybe an entire team will show up. Oh my god! <laughs> Susan couldn't suggest a service, so we're all just going to play freeze tag oh for about god. six hours, which again is my idea of a living hell. get to choose one memory to fully drop down into um the rest of your memories aren't wiped this one is just especially vivid and it's available to you anytime almost like a room with a door that you can open and shut jump in jump out whenever you want but you have to pick just one what memory do you pick oh no Well, if I guess because it had, because so much of this, you know, my dad died in 1991 and, and because of so much of my interpersonal memory of him has faded so much, I would love, and I don't know why this just came to my head, I, I'll, but I'll take it. It's. I'm in the garage. I've just cleaned out the whole garage. So my dad said he would take me on a, my dad had a Yamaha 650 and he's a motorcycle. Like, yeah. He okay. said, I'll take you to the lake and back, which by the way is literally down the block and then come back. This is in Chicago. No, this is in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Okay. So I, um, I would like a vivid memory because it is fuzzy, but it is one of those times that I really got my time with my dad was I cleaned out the entire garage so that, and that he would, as my reward, take me down the street on the motorcycle. So I would like the end of it. I would like, you did an amazing job. I would like to be on that motorcycle. And I would like to, I would like it to be like crawling to the lake and crawling back. Does crawling? That well, like just the motorcycle going so slow. Because okay. I'm okay. 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 To there within a minute. 
And then you get back in a minute. So I want time to sort of stand still. I'm sort of arrogant where I believe that anything that is shitty should go by in a blink. And anything yeah. that is really great should like time should fucking stop. So this one, I would like the time to stop. And I would like to kind of really, um, really chew on on being truly being with my dad because, you know, he was one of those distracted dads of the sixties and he really didn't know what to do with girls. He had twins and then me twin girls and then me Robin. Oh, wow. And, you know, so on Sunday nights, he would take us to hockey games. I'm not complaining. The Rangers were great. Um, and we had very good seats at the garden, but I kind of felt like he didn't know what to do with us until we became, we became older and in which case, I remember having decent, solid conversations with him. I just thought he was really cool, probably kind of shitty, probably as a partner, but a really like okay. cool dad, you know, like, real cool dad. And um, yeah, so I'd like that moment. I'd this, like so. That. This is ninety one when he died. Yeah. Oh, when he died. Okay. Okay. How, when so, is this? That the when is the? How old are you? How old is he in the memory? I'm probably um, eight or nine, maybe. So we're oh wow, okay, seventy-two. Yeah, you weren't even you weren't even a like you weren't even an egg. You weren't even an idea in 1972. That's okay. I I don't. I'm, it's not my memory. I'm just saying, and that's how old I am. Totally. I, I might have been an idea in 1972. I might have been. I might have been a. I mean, I was certainly an egg in 1972. But not necessarily the chosen one. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. Um, um, so, okay. So you're eight or nine. Wow, wow, wow. I was imagining a much older scenario. Okay. So he's what kind of age of dad? Is he in his 30s at this point? Is he yeah. in his 50? Okay, 30s. Yeah, definitely. And it's just you. So it's not you sharing him with your sisters. Helmets? Are there helmets? Uh, I had a helmet on. He might not have. He might have had sunglasses. That might have been the law. Okay. The Are there, is there music? Play? Does he, does the, do motorcycles have, the motorcycles have yeah, stereo? No, well, right? now they do, but I don't think so then. No, just be the sound of that. Okay. Very, my town was very quiet. Um, I mean, if you, I, I was just trying to think of even if my dad listened, the kind of music my dad listened to was just, it, it was negligible at best. It was not, you know, great music i remember he listened to some greek woman i don't know why he wasn't greek um oh that sounds great this is bad it just wasn't good um it wasn't like wow that'll get me going you know (laughs) you like neil diamond who doesn't okay okay sure is there a specific book like is the boardwalk that was near your town is it a boardwalk was there an ice cream stand is there any snack or anything you're getting on the way no but my but if if we got to take a longer ride if i get to make this memory slightly newer okay okay i would i would extend it by having him take me down on the motorcycle because short hills has a lot of hills which is great so with a motorcycle that would be fun so we would get to the melbourne deli and he would buy me a a melbourne sloppy joe which is the best sandwich in the world in the world in the world like, I don't post pictures of food. That's the one fucking sandwich I will post or food at all. Yeah. The noodle pudding. And uh, it's in people who know what that sandwich is, they they actually start salivating. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm actually thinking of calling my mom and saying, hey, can you get me a sloppy joe? Like, because I know the it's going to be crazy there all week. Anyway, so, you know, for before Thanksgiving. I was yeah, like, yeah. Get me a sloppy. I mean, I'm starting to salivate. This is horrifying. Um <laughs> But then my dad would take me. So this is a brand new. This is not a memory. This is sure, sure, creating sure. a memory. And then he would get me back after that. Yeah, we would have a good time. And maybe that night we'd even go to a Rangers game as well. God, it'd be great to do that. I would. Yeah, it would be great with my brain now to hang out with my dad. So it sounds like there wasn't a this wasn't the era of great conversations yet. Well, I, I think you just kids when you come from the sixties, you really didn't question shit. You didn't, sure. it was, I mean not- the era with you and him personally, though, this wasn't when you guys were having great conversations or was it, was there a night? No, I mean, what, what you did was you, you felt lucky that you got to hang out in the room. Mm. You knew this guy was cool and he let you hang out there. And so you felt like you were lucky and maybe de facto, you're cool too. 
What kind of cool was he? Because I got to be honest, the the way you describe the music taste doesn't sound particularly. No, he's not. He wasn't that guy. He had a really, 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 really dry sense of humor. Like almost like you had to look at him twice to realize that that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, Super dry, sharp, funny, uh, uh, very smart. You know, the kind of guy who had his friends were for a lifetime. And then after he died, they talk about him for decades afterwards because they miss Bob. Yeah. So a good friend. He's a very good friend. Very good friend. Yeah. Like I said, not the probably the best partner, but a really good friend. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it sounds like he's nailing it in all these other relationships. Yeah, he does nail it in all the other relationships. Absolutely. And so when you said he gets you good parking spots the first time that that occurred to you what i said i just looked up i I said thank you papa bob because that's what i think my nephew called him or something papa bob instead of grandpa um yeah so i just got a really good parking spot i had a very strange feeling that my dad got it for me and i said thank you papa bob and so anytime i i get a good parking spot i thank my father was he a car guy was he a parking spot guy definitely he was a car guy he's not a parking guy no no I mean, served. a guy who you have like a lot of memories of, like he yeah. was always looking for a great spot or something like that. Nope, he just got me one. I just okay. Need- okay. So, I mean, I look. I used to talk to Michael after he died, and he definitely spoke to me for a while, and then he got busy. Michael or your dad? Yeah, my dead husband. Okay. How, what do you mean he got busy? He got busy. I remember the last time I kind of asked him about, about a couple of things. I felt like he was a real blip, really, 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 really far away and kind of faintly said, Susan, I'm I'm sort of busier than, <laughs> than just you. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm handling some major shit. I'm like, hey, go do what you got to do. But he felt very far away and he didn't feel far away after he died. That's so interesting because those those stories are usually so tailor-made to the living person remembering that they're always comforting. They're always, and they were always oh. there for me and I can talk to them, whatever. It almost lends more credibility to it that like, busy. it, it wasn't <laughs> purely serving you. No, no, no. Uh, the day after two days after he died, I was on, uh, I have these porches on my house and there's a little side porch off my bedroom. And I took a hit of weed and I very clearly heard Michael said, really? And I said, what the fuck do you think I've been doing for two fucking years every time I put you to bed and I've given you your last distribution of pills? And there was this real long pause. And then he said, carry on. And then there was another time. Was he not a weed guy? No. No, he was sober. Um, uh, gotcha. 21 years sober. And uh, and never was into weed when he was fucked up either. Um, and then another time when his base, when his ashes were in the basement, I touched his ashes and I said, I'm trying to remember that I love you. And he said, you do remember. That's why you're sad. So yeah, he spoke very succinctly to me several couple occasions. In a couple of different modes, a corrective mode, a a comforting mode, and then a, Mm -hmm. my inbox is full sort of mode. Seriously, Susan, I've got shit to do. (laughs) Hey, got it. Got it. Got it. Have I answered any of your fucking questions? Well, I'm a horrible guest. Here's the thing. I need <laughs> you to trust that I know what I'm doing enough that 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 you don't even need to be aware of it and that I am getting what needs to be gotten and that you're doing fucking great. Okay, good. You, I mean, you would tell me, Susan, we really need to take this again. Yeah, I mean, I've already told you all the problems I had with your, you know, philosophies. Love you it. Know. Love it. Um, As a- and I tend to agree with you because no, and those were and I, it also I, puts it also puts the onus. I want to stop that because yeah. it also put it makes you go home and go, well, what the fuck is wrong with me that that I'm like that I'm not getting off on this shit right now? We did I, did I ever show you your timeline of improv? Look, 
Improv is fun. I fell down the rabbit hole of joy. Every day it gets better and better. Why am I worse? No. Oh, no. Oh, fuck you. I am worse than when I started. I paid a thousand dollars for that fucking. Oh, thank God I'm getting better. 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 Why am I the same? 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 I'm great. I suck. That's your life as an improviser. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's more than improv too. It's pretty much any art form, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but no, no, no. I pre- I I I get in this. There's a there's a mode of conversation that I like to be in sometimes where I'm presenting a an ugly or a wrong or a previous opinion, but I get so detailed in describing it that someone thinks it's what I still think right now. But what I'm trying to say is I used to think this thing, and here's my journey from this horrible resentment, negative, whatever, into now. And but 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 it's a tricky thing to describe multiple mindsets that have been contained within you, you know? I mean, my father used to say, the good news is you'll get through it. The bad news is that first you have to get through it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Some of it just doesn't serve you after a while. You're just like, eh, it just doesn't work for me. Well, and all of a sudden, also, it's not, not like, this, like this something that was like the biggest fucking deal just sort of drops away. And you're like, why did I wake up? Did I have a fucking epiphany? Because I don't remember having this epiphany. Maybe right. I just up. Yeah. And you just feel differently. Well, that's appropriate because the last big question I've got is about epiphanies. Is what's your coma is the question. And I say that because I contextualized my experience for you. For me, it's just like the improv journey. It's not a full, it's not a clear narrative. But before this coma, I was one person. And after, eventually, slowly, um, I did become another person. I think epiphanies are kind of bullshit because I think you you realize something, but then you have to keep living it every day for it to actually mean anything. But, but I, so I ask you, what's your coma? Because it doesn't have to be grandiose. It can be minor. It can be a split second. I think plenty of people have a ton of them. Um, But what's one that comes to mind where you remember very clearly like, oh yeah, before that, I felt like one distinct version of myself. And after this happened and I became something else. Well, the big one I would have to say is my stroke changed me. It changed me. I, I, um, it changed me in a way that, that I'm starting to answer the question of what do I want versus what do I need to do today? Or what do I have to get accomplished in order for X to occur, whatever. And what I mean by that is there was in my life, I'd read, saw Bell book Henderson the Rain King mm-hmm. and I don't usually read f- fiction um, but in Henderson the Rain King the king is sitting on the throne and he says I want I want I want and they're like you're the king you can have whatever the fuck you want what do you want and he goes I don't know <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. Like, and I had always said to students friends family that that probably is the hardest question in the world to answer, which is what do I want? Because oftentimes your wants or desires don't fall into play. They're not, they're not important for the moment Mm -hmm. or, or even in my life, I've never like set out a thesis and then proved it. Like what I've basically done is I've done something and sort of discovered why I did it almost like a good improv scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are times where I'm like, I have no idea why I'm doing it. I think the reasoning will emerge and, and, and being okay with that. But I have a lot of outmoded ideas in my head about relationships, about friendship. Uh, and I don't know if it was the pandemic or Michael's death or my hospitalization, but right after that, the, I got out of the hospital. I was like, I feel different. I, um, I'm no longer going to be 
where I don't um, want to be. And I don't want to do things that I don't want to do, which might mean I might have to redefine who I am as an artist, as a friend, as a family member, as a teacher. I don't know. I don't think that the people around me see a huge shift. I don't think they would Mm -hmm. go. But there's a little part of me that's like, if this doesn't serve you, I'm I'm sorry, but this is what I'm going to be doing. Like, I feel like even my beautiful daughter, who, you know, my job was to teach her all the skills I can so that she can fly. And then there are, there are many times where I've said to her, look, you don't have to follow what I'm saying. I'm just, uh, you know, sure. all all I'm saying is this might save you time. That's the only thing it might save you. Mm-hmm. And pursue your joy and listen to that tiny voice that tells you what you want, because I'm still figuring that out, you know, but so I this, know this is the stroke that happened like six months ago. Yep. May. Okay. Something in me shifted. Something in me shifted. Is um, there a specific, is there like a concrete example of something that you felt obliged to do before that you don't do anymore? Yes. Stay in certain friendships or relationships. Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I feel like because I felt this way historically, I should continue to feel that way because this person has been in my life for this amount of time. They should, you know, I, I have to keep them there, whether it was supportive or healthy or sustainable or not sustainable. I, st- you know, ultimately I still felt like, well, I have to buckle down and just recommit. And now I don't feel that way. Because I do believe life is short. And um, and if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it around. You really did. And I, and I thought I had follow-up questions, but you, you, you put a button on it so hard, man. It's, uh, but I, I am – well – I am curious if that if the thing that brought the change about was just the thing that people talk about about a brush with death and kind of feeling be. things. It might just short. it might be just a perfect storm of all of it coming together. Um, I I don't I don't sit around thinking about my mortality. I don't sit around. I don't think about my legacy. I don't think about any of that kind of stuff because I really am a little blip in the big scheme of things. Um, and I can only hope that, you know, that, that my time with others has been more beneficial than hurtful. And that if I've hurt them, that I hope they forgive me and that, you know what I mean? Like things like that. I, I do want to make good and right with, with anybody I have wronged. Um, I, I just need to, I think, supersede that with my desires too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm an I'll apologize for things I didn't do. That's not good. Yeah. And that's I think the balance of that plus being amply willing to apologize oh, keeps always. you keeps you knowing that it's like, oh, it's not that I don't apologize. It's just that I need to be, you know, whichever way I'm leaning too hard, I need to check within myself and My friend Rachel once said to me, I said something really self-deprecating. And my friend Rachel Hamilton said, don't be mean to my friend, Susan. Yeah. And, and, you know, I advocate everybody's personal power. And when you see me on stage, it looks like I give no shits in the best sort of way. I would hope a good show for me. Yeah. Um, That I'm having too much fun playing with these nice people who have agreed to play with me and somebody took their hand off their dick and, you know, got off their computer and got into an Uber and actually got into a seat. That's kind, especially in a scary, scary time of this world right now where people don't believe in science for some reason. That's crazy. Uh, But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for all that. So I, I don't, I don't take any of it lightly. And, and so if I don't have, all the time in the world, you know, am I going to spend it being as happy as I possibly can? And what does that mean to me? And what does that look like? Sometimes it's a location for me. It's nature. I'm big. I'm a big, like pine cone girl in mm-hmm. a 
tree or a redwood. You know what I mean? That'll make me happy for a while. That'll shut me up, shut me down, make sure. me almost, so almost make me spiritual. That's absolutely a, my my um my dead husband was very gaudy. He was a god guy, and he's also an AA, so it's all over the place. And I said, well, the closest I'm ever going to get to be spiritual is the redwood forest. And he's like, well, there we're going on there on our honeymoon. I was like, okay. <laughs> Like I got great. to go to the Redwood Forest and he got to see me, you know, make love to a tree. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I just fucked it. I didn't make love to it. <laughs> but did you choke fuck it? No. Did no, it the- choke fuck you, I guess, is the, is the question. In love. It choke fucked me in love. <laughs> That is the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Susan for doing the show. Thank you to Susan for her contributions to the fucking scene, man. Um, and for just being so so honest and and inspiring. I hope the uh, the, the the sort of hard won inspiration I take from her comes through there. So. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. That is the best way. You can also sign up for my newsletter, which is great. It's called Definitive Answers. I do not provide any. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Only human and human beings, they do miracles.